Hi everyone, I'm Annika and this is the Tried and Truth Podcast. Welcome back to another episode. As always, thanks for being here. So glad that you're here today. Today we are sitting down with co-authors Cheryl Miller and Shannon Deer as they share their story behind their upcoming book, Business Doing Good, Engaging Women and Elevating Communities. So lots of insight, lots of things to challenge your, your thinking and to inspire you today as they share their stories as well as the story behind the book. So excited to share today's episode. Take a listen. All right, Cheryl and Shannon, thank you all so much for being here. Welcome to the show. Thanks. We're glad to be here. We are very glad to be here. Well, glad to have you both. This is really exciting for me. I heard about y'all's new book, Business Doing Good, Engaging Women and Elevating Communities. And I thought, this is this is where my heart is. This is where I think so much of us want to have a seat at the table in the story. And so really excited to hear about you all and your story behind the story. So I'd love for us just to start there. Well, I'll say, I'll say the story starts with Cheryl emailing me in July of 2019 and saying, do you want to write a book? And I said, yes. Wait, what is this book about? And um, I had a general, <laughs> I had a general idea because um, in 2016, I was introduced to Cheryl over the phone. So I had not met Cheryl uh, in person at that point um, in 2016, but got connected to her because I was doing research on women who had survived uh, sex trafficking situations or engagement in the sex trade and how organizations, both businesses and nonprofit organizations had helped and hurt them in that transition from the sex trade to lawful employment and what their experiences were in that transition. And Cheryl, as she'll tell you in a minute, ran a housing program in South Texas for women overcoming many types of challenges. And she had a lot of overlap in the population. Some of the women who had gone through the housing program had also engaged in the sex trade. And so I interviewed quite a few women from her organization. Um, And so that really gave us an opportunity to kind of compare notes from a research evidence-based back perspective to looking at what Cheryl had done from the practice side. And a lot of what Cheryl did was really backed by some specific principles that worked. And I was so glad to see that in the research that I did. And I had published a few journal articles, um, which unfortunately not very many people in the world even have access to. And among those who have access, they may or may not read them. And so I was really excited that Cheryl wanted to write a book because we wanted to get the story out into the world about how businesses could hire women who have overcome challenging pasts and how that would, of course, benefit the women and their families for generations to come, but also benefit the business. And so we, in the book, provide six principles that outline exactly practical, but also research-backed principles that the organizations, the businesses can implement to effectively hire women who have overcome challenging pasts. And um, so it's a little bit of the story behind the story. I'm sure Cheryl has more of um, how that all evolved um, and why we decided to write the book. That's fascinating. Cheryl, anything else you want to add? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's basically it. You know, it was like, like Shannon said, I ran a housing program for 18 years and we were at the housing program, we were very successful in helping the women get sober and you know, stable. But at the beginning, 
they, we weren't very successful in helping them finding employment that allowed them to move out of poverty or out of the life, you know, the neighborhoods where they lived during all of the issues that were happening that they were trying to walk away from. And so we just began kind of a trial and error process of creating opportunities on site for them to get training, to get higher paying jobs. And it just kind of organically evolved into the social enterprise that it was that it was that was producing some pretty pretty dramatic transformations and transformations that were not only like significantly dramatic in what they were able to accomplish, but it happened in a very short period of time. Um, and so once once we kind of had a handle on what what was actually happening, you know, it's it's one thing to be able to do something. It's another thing to be able to explain what you're doing and why it works. And so we had to really figure out why is this working and what language do we need to use to kind of share this with other people. And once we landed on that language, which are the principles that uh, Shannon talks about that were in, that, that are in the book, um, then we knew we could tell other people about it. And and there, it was almost like, you know, having that pearl of great worth, you know, you, you want to sell everything you have and go share it because it is so powerful and so transformative. It was like, we've got to get this out. We've got to get this out into the world because if it works in this context, it'll work in another context. And so that is basically the, the rest of the story behind the book. Gosh, that's incredible. So y'all talk about a little bit about these six principles. Would y'all be able just to shed some more light on a few of these principles that, like you said, were in action and are very practical for businesses to be able to, to take and actually see results from that? Yeah. We're learning that we probably shouldn't try to go through all six principles because that would take us a really long time, but um, we're going to pick our favorites and talk about those. I want to add a little bit to what, what Cheryl said. Um, about a social enterprise, because I think that's an important context to understand the application of these six principles. So people may not be familiar with the concept of a social enterprise, um, but it's oftentimes the, the kind of most foundational way I could talk about it is it's a business run by a nonprofit organization. So, and it can be a, a true business with a social mission, but a lot of times the context in which we see it is a nonprofit organization that runs a business. And there's a few reasons why that's helpful for nonprofit organizations. One is that donor support is becoming more and more difficult to secure. There are many nonprofit organizations competing for donor support, and that is can make it hard to get that donor support into the organization. And so a social enterprise can be a way that a nonprofit organization can bring money into the nonprofit by offering a good or service that the public needs. Um, so you, you've, you've seen social enterprises in your life. A lot of the fair trade organizations are social enterprises where um, maybe a woman is making jewelry in um, Africa and then that's being sold here in the US, but it's also funding part of that nonprofit organization. Um, that's a concept of a social enterprise. Cheryl ran a social enterprise within the housing program that was important because it did bring income into the organization and it brought income to the women who were working for the organization. But it was also really important because it was a training ground. It was a, it was a small business where women in the housing program could learn and grow 
in a safe context where they could make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And one of our principles is experiential learning. And part of experiential learning is learning by doing, and they could make mistakes in that context and receive coaching from other women who were uh, a little farther along than them, but they could receive coaching there so that they weren't learning on the job. So they were really prepared for the jobs that were going to be sustainably pay so that they could move into the jobs that were going to provide sustainable pay to them. And not a lot of, we've found not very many nonprofit organizations are able to pull off what Cheryl pulled off. Um, Not because they can't, but because they just don't know exactly what to do. They don't know the principles that Cheryl really learned through trial and error. And so I love that the book does a lot to kind of bridge that gap between business and nonprofit organizations. We, we focus, our primary audience is businesses from the book, but if a nonprofit organization picks up this book, they're going to get the principles they need to be implementing too in order for businesses to want to hire their women. And that's kind of a beautiful piece of this is that one of the, and I, I've now shared a couple of the principles and I wasn't meaning to yet, but one of the principles, the last principle is nonprofit partnerships, which is really the most important principle. And Cheryl talked about three-way partnerships. Cheryl, you want to explain what a three-way partnership is and why it's important? Yeah. One of the things that we found when we started moving into running the social enterprise was that we really, I mean, I had been running a nonprofit for 15 years. And so I understood how to run an effective nonprofit, but I had but I knew that there were differences between a nonprofit and a business, uh, you know, a traditional business. And so I, I felt like that there would need to be some kind of insight from business leaders as we were moving into this new new project of this social enterprise. And so we partnered with several business leaders. They 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 became coaches both, and and the partnership ended up being several different things. But they were coaches to help us as a nonprofit and our social enterprise to be able to. You know, make sure that the business was being run effectively and that it would generate income and, and that it was a, you know, a productive, a productive entity. Um, and and uh, in our particular social enterprise, we allowed the women to, uh, they could do training to launch their own businesses. And so they had this whole entrepreneurial track. So we also partnered with local business leaders to act as if like, like a little shark tank sort of support okay. um, where they would come in and they would review their business plans. But prior to being a part of the Shark Tank, one of the things that we did was educate the business leaders because our approach was different than a lot of other approaches. We were an asset-based type of, you know, nonprofit. We, we saw the women as autonomous. You know, we, so anyway, we would train our business leaders to understand how we were doing things within our nonprofit, what our, what our approach was, what our goal was, what our expectations was. So when they came in to work with the women, they, 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 they were working within the same philosophy that we were with the nonprofit. And so it, it was a really smooth transition. And it worked really well. And, and, and because, the non, because the social enterprise was doing so well, we had a lot of businesses that were coming to us saying, hey, we like your employees. I mean, you're putting out great employees. Could you, you, know, could you train people in our field? Um, and so, so that's where the connection between the, the the business and the nonprofit and then the woman themselves came in because the the businesses could bring insight to the nonprofit on how to run effective businesses. They could also vet business plans and that type of thing. But the nonprofit understands the clients. 
we knew the women, we knew what approaches worked, we knew what effective things were. And because of that, we were able to really move those women into, into these good paying jobs within these companies. The third piece of it, of course, is the woman because of the fact that she, you know, she's bringing her skills and her talents and her insights, and she needs to be able to speak into both the programming at the nonprofit and her employment as the, as once she moves into the business setting. And then the final piece of that partnership is as businesses were coming to, you know, to seek out employees, which is what was happening with us, they were coming to, to say, hey, you know, we'll hire your women if you'll train them in this field. And so we, the, the women would write curriculum and train them in that field. But then we would vet the women for potential employees. So we weren't just sending, you know, someone in who, you know, wasn't ready or hadn't completed a training program or hadn't demonstrated that they understood, you know, good, good business ethic, good work ethic, that type of stuff. So that three-way partnership became really critical. The business providing support to the women and the nonprofit, the nonprofit providing uh, support to the women and training business leaders on understanding their clients. And then the women providing insight from their backgrounds, both to the nonprofit programming and to their employment. So it's a really beautiful three-way partnership. I love just the visual you know, of the partnership too, is like leveraging everybody, what everybody brings to the table. And I think everybody inherently wants to do good, right? But it's like before the partnership, it's these isolated pieces. They don't necessarily understand this world. They don't necessarily understand this world. So I can totally see how, as you all put the book together, right? It's like elevating the community by really bringing and leveraging everybody's strengths and contributions and creating this bi-directional communication amongst everybody. That's fascinating. I love that. Well, and we've already seen um, a lot of organizations really excited about the three-way partnership. Uh, we've been working with the Business Roundtable, um, which is a great organization that focuses on sustainable, um, positive social impact of business. They um, have started what's called a Second Chance Business Coalition, and it's really focused on hiring specifically people who have um, formerly incarcerated. And so they're really excited about the work that we're doing because they don't, a lot of businesses want to hire people who have been formerly incarcerated because there's a lot of benefits to them for doing that. We can talk through those, but they have their own biases. They may be concerned about any risk associated with hiring someone who's been formerly incarcerated and they don't necessarily know, they're not experts in what kind of training someone needs who has overcome a lot of the challenges that Cheryl was an expert in helping people overcome. And so the nice, the beauty of this partnership is that, like Cheryl said, the nonprofit organization can do the, a lot of the vetting and the training, maybe not hundred percent of it, but they can do a lot of the vetting and the training for a corporation that wants to hire people who have overcome challenging paths. I mean, even hiring someone who's gone through, who's experienced, um, who survived some of the trauma that women who have exited the sex trade have need to be prepared to hire, or, or it's better when they're prepared to hire women who have overcome those kinds of challenges. And, but they may not be experts in doing that. They're experts in banking and selling soft drinks and all of those things. They may not be experts in training what we call overcomers. And well, nonprofit organizations are. 
And not to mention businesses who do, who are ready to do this type of work and who want to hire people who are formerly incarcerated, who want to hire women overcomers, where are they going to find them? I mean, you just don't go walking down the street and say, hey, have you guys anybody been to prison? You want to come apply for a job? You know, so they, there has to be that, there has to be that connection to the organizations that are serving those populations so that the corporation can know where to go to find these potential employees. And even just walking into a prison, some organizations do, some businesses do. We've worked with a business called Televerde that's doing some great work and they hire women who are currently incarcerated and they have a great training program to help women transition into their organization once after they've been incarcerated. They're a call center that operates for a lot of the big tech companies you recognize like Dell and Adobe and Microsoft. So they're doing great work in that area. But that is a lot of work to, to say, okay, we are going to you know, work with a prison to be a pipeline into our organization. But if that nonprofit acts as an intermediary, a lot of that work is done for them. A lot of that work can be done in partnership with them um, so that it's not so much to take on. I feel like my eyes are being open to just so much of another world out there. Um, I mean, I know this is both of you all's areas of interest, but is there any specific reason that you all chose to focus on women or anything you want to speak to as far as just kind of your own beliefs on the impact that the lives of women can have on, on the world, really? Well, the primary reason we, at the beginning, the primary reason was that's who we, that's who we worked with. That was, that was the population that I served. It was a housing program for women. We knew that it worked for women. Uh, Shannon did her research. It was all women. So we knew that it worked for women. We believe that the principles work for any situation. We believe that it works for men as well. But we we didn't have any direct experience on what that looked like. And so we decided we're just going to focus on what we know to work well. That's that was the initial reason. But the other piece of it, Shannon kind of touched on a little bit, is the generational impact, you know, especially where there are women who are single moms. You know, they're the only they're the only provider in the home. If they have these opportunities where they are are provided good jobs and gainful employment in a healthy, productive work environment, then that has an impact on the second generation that it has an impact on their children. Now their children are not being raised in poverty. Now their children know that there are options ahead of them. And so, so it's a very generational type of thing, which is the bigger reason why we focus on women than anything else. We also know that kind of from a multi-generational perspective that women, when they make more money, more of that money, a higher percentage of that money goes into education for their children, healthcare for their children, food for their children. And so there is an incentive to focus on women. Um, it's also a population that sometimes doesn't get focused on in the workplace. And so you know, we, we focused in that area. So there is that from a big picture. Also, Cheryl has her own experiences of the multi-generational impact of overcoming. Cheryl, would you want to share that? Sure. Yeah, that's... Really, my personal story is kind of what drove our programming at the home because because it was what I experienced, you know, when I was in transitions. But it was 30 years ago that I was single and pregnant and homeless and um, wasn't sure where I was going to go. Unfortunately, the people who engaged in my life at that time were people that understood some of the principles that we talk about in this book. Um, they didn't look at me like I needed to be fixed. They didn't look like at me like I was, you know, broken or messed up. They just provided me options 
In fact, I was told if you don't go back to school, you're never going to be able to provide for your family, for your child, you know, successfully. And so I was like, all right, they helped me enroll in school. They helped me get transportation. They helped me with, you know, with daycare. And I found out when I was going into labor um, that summer in 1987 that I surprised was having twins and didn't know. And then was a surprise. That, yeah. And on top of that, they were two and a half months premature. So here I have these two sick babies, you know, that are in the NICU, they're on welfare, they were born into the welfare system. And most people would look at a situation like that and think, good grief, what chance in the world do these kids have? You know, uh, they're so sick. They're, you know, they're, they were only, they were right at three pounds when they were born. Um, you know, like I said, they were born into the welfare system. But the people who were connected with me that, that were, walking alongside me at that time really challenged me and pushed me. And sure enough, a couple of years later, I graduated with my bachelor's degree. And right after I graduated, my husband and I got married. I started teaching school. After a little bit of time, I transitioned into the nonprofit sector um, and then realized I didn't have a, as much experience in nonprofit as I needed. So I went back to school again and a couple of years later graduated with a master's degree in nonprofit leadership and communication. Um, and so, and I, you know, I haven't, I don't think I've mentioned this to you, Shannon, but the, when I was that last semester, when I was finishing up my degree, I would go into the university and I'd walk to my class those last few days. And I, and I remember walking through the halls of the university thinking, how did I get here? How did I get here 15 years ago? I had two children born into the welfare system. And now I'm about to graduate with a master's degree. And my children are healthy and productive. My, uh, the, two, the twins that I had were Danny and Travis. They were boy-girl twins. Um, and Travis, when he was in first grade, found a book about uh, the Air Force and started telling us that he wanted to go to the Air Force Academy and be a pilot. And, um, and he did. It, it, when he graduated from high school, he, he had applied to the Air Force Academy and he was accepted. And so he went to the Air Force Academy. He was on the boxing team there. When he graduated from the Academy, it, he applied for pilot training. He eventually got into pilot training. He was flying MC-12s. He, he was deployed over in Afghanistan. And he's still in the Air Force. He's a major in the Air Force right now. And my daughter, Danny, as she was growing up, she loved softball and she wanted to play softball in college. And sure enough, in her senior year of high school, she got recruited to play at the university that she wanted to play. And so she played softball all four years. The last three years she was there, she was their starting catcher. Um, the following year, she went on to be the assistant coach of that team. And they went all the way to the NCAA finals and won the national championship. Oh my goodness. So my daughter has, uh, you know, an NCAA World Series ring. My son has an has Air Force Academy ring. And, and these were two children that were born into the welfare system. And, but they grew up in a home where there was resilience and there was tenacity and there was overcoming. And they knew, they knew that they could attain whatever they wanted to attain. So if those people hadn't have intervened in my life, if people that had connected with me back then had seen me as a victim and treated me like I was broken and, and said, oh, you poor thing, I just can't imagine not only where I would be, but where would my children be? I mean, we ended up with four kids total and all four of them are college graduates. All four of them have children and all of their children, well, not all four of them have children yet. <laughs> so, but Danny and Travis is, Danny, 
Travis has a one-year-old son and that child was not born into welfare like he was. And my daughter, Danny is having a baby and she'll, she's due in September and her child will not be born into the welfare system. So we're looking at three generations now that have benefited from somebody seeing, gosh, this woman needs a chance and she needs to be encouraged to do something more than just accept status quo and stay in this position where she is. That is an incredible story, Cheryl. First of all, thank you for sharing that. That is a very, very powerful story. And who would have thought, right, 30 years ago that you would, your story would literally be used to write a story, to rewrite the stories of thousands, maybe millions of of people. Like you said, the impact of just generational, just change and impact and influence. I mean, I can't think of a more powerful testimony to, you know, just that belief that somebody had in you and well, and it shaped everything we did at the nonprofit. You know, it's like when the women would start acting like, well, I don't know what to do. And I'm helpless. I'm like, no, you, you, no, you're not. I know better than that. I mean, I know because I did, I've been there, done that. And if I can do it, you can do it. And, and so it really shaped everything that we did. I love, um, Cheryl's story. And in the book, we have six stories that go around the principles. So um, they're, they're really impactful stories. And we, we tell them not as any one woman's story, because we want her to be able to tell her own story. But you know, Cheryl's had hundreds, thousands of people come through the housing program. And it's a compilation of all of their success stories. We have women who, you know, um, have who engaged in the sex trade and are now executives, women who were incarcerated and became licensed professional counselors, or women who um, were in domestic violence situations or um, extreme poverty, drug addiction, who have overcome those things to be successful in a business context, to start their own businesses and hire other women who are overcomers as well. Um, All of those stories are in the book. I love that the stories, which really come from Cheryl and her experiences with helping other people, that the stories is what really drives the book. The principles are interwoven in there. We we outline them um, in a nonfiction way as well. So you see them from the stories, but we outline them in a nonfiction way as well. And Cheryl's pointed to one of the principles that's so important. We we call it, the chapter is translation factor, um, where... Cheryl did an excellent job of helping women translate the skills that they had gained in other aspects of their lives. So skills they had gained in the drug trade, skills they had gained in stealing jeans 15 miles away and riding their bike and coming back and selling them here because that is entrepreneurial, whether we like the way that it was done or not, that is entrepreneurial. And so she was able to talk to the women and say, You were not made to go and steal jeans and sell them here. There is an easier way to do this, but you have an entrepreneurial spirit. You have a skill here. You translate into business that is so important. Or one of the women talks about how Cheryl helped her recognize that what her family and friends and what she herself had identified as manipulation, a a character, an attribute she had was I'm manipulative. I'm, I'm, I manipulate people. And Cheryl was able to help her see that manipulation and motivation are very similar. There's a fine line there. And if you can translate that manipulation, that thing you're really good at, to motivation, 
you're going to be an excellent business owner and you're going to be able to motivate your employees in a way that is really going to be a, a key differentiator for you. And um, their ability to hustle, Cheryl helped them turn that into sales, but it required Cheryl to have that asset-based focus that she's mentioned a couple of times. A lot of organizations, a lot of nonprofit organizations, and we talk to a lot of them, have a deficit-based focus. Oh, these the, the women are so fragile. They've experienced trauma. Yes, they've experienced trauma, but they are not fragile. And they have overcome some great things. And if we can come at it with a trauma-informed approach that uh, understands and appreciates the trauma they've experienced, but helps them build on the assets that they have, the recovery is so much faster and so much deeper. And that's what Cheryl really saw is, hey, stop talking about you know leaving this past behind. We, we want them to move on from the past, but there's a lot of good things that they learned in those challenging experiences that if they can apply that to business, they're actually really valuable to those businesses um, and just help them recognize and be confident in using those skills and translating those skills into business. So that's one of my favorite um, principles from the book. Yeah, I would have, I would have, I would have preferred back thirty years ago for somebody to jump on my pity party, pity party wagon and, and feel sorry for me, you know, because it was a challenge. And and I look back and I think, how in the world? How in the world? Because I mean, I would get up. I lived about 30 miles away from the university. So I would get up in the morning and drive to the university to my classes in the morning and come home. And on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I would, you know, come home and take care of the twins by my, by then I had gotten a small garage apartment. They'd help me get an apartment. And then, but then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I would go back to that, the, the community where the, um, where the school was and work at night in a bar from, seven to two o'clock in the morning and get off from there, go home, pick up my kids, feed them, you know, go to bed and get up and go repeat the same thing. And it was hard, but nobody felt sorry for me, you know? And it was like, well, you know what, this is what you got to do. So suck it up and do it. And so it was kind of understanding that that translation factor is it's like, yeah, it's hard, but you have done harder things. And if you could do that, what else in the world could you possibly do? And once they recognize that, and once I recognize that, it was like, well, dang, the world is pretty much at our feet. I mean, what what we want to accomplish is what we want to accomplish, and and then just go at it, you know. Well, I'm so inspired by the stories that you all are sharing, and as you all kind of brought your own, as we're talking about like leveraging these strengths, as you all brought both of yours together to co-author this book, was there any just really big learning or aha moment that you had in the process of writing this book? I would say I still have them. You know, I think for me, Cheryl really challenges me and the companies that we talk to. We, we've had, it's really been a nice um, couple of months that we've had because companies are really paying attention. You know, the book's not out yet. It'll come out in August, but um, we've had a few companies read the book in advance and um, a very large fortune 500 company is wanting to pilot a program this summer to hire women overcomers. And we're working with nonprofit organizations that we feel like are training women in a way that um, can prepare them to work in in some of the roles within this Fortune 500 company. And that's really exciting um, because we 
have not seen that level of excitement from large companies um, to hire women overcomers in the past. It's kind of a new thing. And a lot of it really does go back to that second chance initiative and um, working through companies have committed to hire people who have a criminal record um, or at least to postpone the screening of, for a criminal record. And, and so they really are working to figure out how can we hire people who have had um, you know, challenging pasts. And, and that is such a beautiful thing. But when we're meeting with them, all of our biases come out from time to time where, you know, they'll say, well, maybe we could start them in a warehouse position. And we'll say, you could, you could, but, you know, and, and I would say, yeah, that's great. Let's do a warehouse position. And they'll say, it's, it's well-paid. It has, it has good benefits. And I'm like, great, great, great. Because I just want, yeah, let's get them something. Let's get them something. And Cheryl's like, no, you're going to benefit from these women. You find a good job for them that they want. What are some other jobs? You know, and some of the women do want to work in a warehouse and that's great. Have that warehouse job for them. And, and that's going to be one of the jobs on the list. But Cheryl was like, nope, send me a position description for five other jobs because I want women to have, you know, opportunities that are appealing to them. And, and a lot of times, you know, again, our biases come out. Well, okay, but they might not have an education, but they might not. And, and we are really pushing these companies to say, no, leave those biases at the door. Because if you can do that, these women are going to do some amazing things in your company. And that's really been inspiring to me because, you know, as, as someone who works in a traditional business school, I have a tendency to fall back on that. Like, yeah, but they have a criminal record. We're working with, um, well, JP Morgan Chase uh, is chairing the Second Chance Business Coalition with the Business Roundtable. And they've piloted a program um, in Chicago to hire people who've been formerly incarcerated. So now I like to tell people, if a bank can figure out how to do this, you can too. Like you have no excuse, you know, oh, but, and my students, sometimes I'll tell them what I'm doing and they're like, well, but what happens if they're like managing money? I'm like, you figure out an example. <laughs> this bank it figured it out, y'all can figure it out too. So, well, and the reality is, the reality is they have people who are not formally incarcerated that embezzle in their companies already. So, you know, it's like, they're going to have problems with employees anyway. So you might as well have the problems with employees that bring an extra set of skills that traditional employees don't. What are the things that the, that the, the women bring to the workplace is that tenacity and hard work and that perseverance. And it's like, you get down, you get back up again. If you haven't experienced that, you don't bring, you don't have that skill set. And so, True. That, you know, that part of it is, is exciting. When you were asking about the aha moment, I don't know that I had an aha moment. I mean, they're probably, well, actually there have been a lot, but the, but more important, what stands out to me is kind of what Shannon said. When we started having uh, these conversations with these large businesses, I was like, oh my gosh, this is really going to happen. Mm-hmm. This this has the potential, this really has the potential to happen. Businesses are ready and businesses are the solution. Our women need jobs in corporations. People in poverty and formerly incarcerated, people in this, leaving the sex industry need good paying jobs and businesses are the answer to that. And it was so, I mean, you, Shannon and I were on a Zoom call and I was in tears because I was like, they're doing this, they're seeing their role and they're doing it and they're stepping up to it. And it's so exciting to me because it's going to make a difference 
so many people's lives. And so it wasn't necessarily an aha moment, but more like we have arrived moment, you know? I love that. I love that. I'd love to know, you know, what is kind of the role that just us everyday people can play in really helping to, to engage in, in this work outside of buying the book, outside of buying the book, what are, is there anything else top of mind that you just feel like everyone can at least do this? I would say one thing that I, that the first thing that people need to start doing is to change their lens in the way they view people who are in situations that are challenging and to really really begin looking at whether it's women or men coming out of poverty or addiction to really begin to recognize this is a talented person that has something to offer the world. They're not broken. They don't need to be fixed. They just need somebody to walk alongside them and challenge them to be the fullness of who they were created to be. Anybody can do that because everybody and everybody runs into someone that's overcoming a challenging situation And just shift your view and your lens to say, okay, instead of this person going, oh gosh, this poor person, I feel sorry for him. I'm going to do these things for him to begin to say, oh, wait, who are you really? What do you really want to do? What are your dreams and how can you achieve those dreams? So I think that's the most important piece is shifting that, that perspective. So the last question I love to ask guests, because I think I'm super fascinated to hear both of your answers to this question, because I think you all both have so much just amazement to bring to the table is how do you view success? You know, as, as Cheryl, I mean, you've had a story that's written a story that's writing stories and, you know, Shannon, you have done so much work around, you know, researching and in education and students and corporations and all of your, you know, business knowledge. And so coming from a little bit of two different worlds that I think are starting to integrate a lot more. How do you view success? For me, um, I had a friend who talked about, um, there's, we talk about this book in the, in our book a little bit, um, but of a second mountain and having this idea that there maybe are two peaks in your careers. Um, one is the peak where, you know, and you've, you've had your own successes and you've invested in your own career. And now for me, success looks a little bit different. And I would call it kind of that second peak of success where I want now to help other people to be successful. And so for me, even in writing this book, we, we still don't know, um, you know, how the book is going to do or what, what kind of money it's going to make or anything like that. But what's most important to us is that it changes women's lives, um, that it changes people's lives, that it changes business professionals' lives that by opening their minds to, we could be benefiting from hiring women overcomers and we could benefit the world, that 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 would help have an impact on everyone involved, everyone in that three-way partnership, the nonprofit organizations, that we could help them be more sustainable and to, to provide women with skills that are going to have, are going to lead to economic development. That's huge. That we could help companies to benefit from women overcomers, but also benefit the world greatly um, by helping to solve so many challenges that people face. And then that we could help the women who are overcoming all of that is, it's the greatest honor of the work that we're doing right now. It's beautiful. For me, I, my definition of success is a little more basic. It's for me, it's just living my, living your best life. You know, I get to define it. I want to define what my best life is. And if my best life is, you know, working at a 
fast food place and making enough to take care of just me and my babies, and that's what I want, then that's my best life. And that's my success. If my if my best life is writing a book and working with corporations to change lives, then that's my best life. And I get to, de- and I get to define that success. I just feel so inspired. I feel like I have no words. <laughs> I think just like you said, I mean, even the whole point of the book, I haven't even read the book. And I just feel like my eyes have been just opened up to just a whole, like you said, this taking off the bias and really switching the lens with which you view so much and just seeing the role that I think all of us can play in, in elevating our communities and, and really, you know, giving, giving women hope and giving them an opportunity to not just change their story, but change someone else's too. Where can people find the book? Tell us, I know it doesn't come out for a few more months, but I know it's, I know it's out there. (laughs) You can order it. You can already order it right now on Amazon. Uh, I think it's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, Walmart. Yeah. And basically anywhere books are sold, but uh, Amazon, Walmart, Barnes and Noble, all of those for sure. Well, thank you both for being here and thank you for just being a light in the world. I think that the world is ready for more light. And I think that people are ready for change. And I think this is a really positive change that more people can be a part of than they can even realize. So thank you for sharing your story and thank you for being here and giving me an opportunity just to learn more about it and, and help share the book with the world. Any last minute, just advice or thoughts you want to share with our listeners? thing that we try to make sure we say, and I know we've said it a couple of times today, is that investing in women overcomers doesn't just help women. It helps their families for generations, and that's wonderful, but it also helps the organizations, the businesses, and the business professionals who make that investment in women overcomers. And so we really encourage businesses to take that step and make that investment And we are certainly here to help them do that. Well, thank you both so much. Appreciate you. Well, thanks for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you'll go check out the book. I'm excited for it to come out. In case you missed any of the important truths and takeaways in today's episode, here they are. Number one, remember the importance of creating a safe place for people to learn and grow around you. Number two, be part of the translation factor. How can you bridge gaps for people and help them connect the dots for others? How can you leverage what everyone brings to the table and break down the isolated worlds? Number three, there is hope no matter what your story is, and you can be part of changing people's stories. You can be part of that hope story for others. Believe in people, invest in people. Number four, Quote from Cheryl, yeah, it's hard. You have done harder things. And if you've done that, what else in the world could you possibly do? Number five, what could happen in your life if you left biases at the door? Number six, change the lens of how you view people coming out of challenges. And number seven, you get to define your best life. Have an awesome day, everyone. And as you go out there and embrace your best life, may you be inspired and challenged to help someone live theirs too. So much more to come. Thanks again for tuning in and until next time.